How is everybody? Good. Good to hear. Well, my name is Steve Kozak, and I am not uh, formally with um, Stand to Reason, but I work alongside them. And what I do is I actually teach in a Christian school. I teach theology. I teach apologetics. I've been working with youth for ever, for a long, long time. I've been doing Christian schools for over 10 years. Um, But I've always been involved with youth in some way, shape, or form. Um, So this is my favorite thing to do. Um, I have a master's of theology, a master's in apologetics, um, and speaking to you guys about these topics is, is my thing. It's what I love. So I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. This is actually my first experience at Hume. I've only been in California for a couple of years. I'm originally from Detroit, and for whatever reason, it was really cold this morning. You would think I'd be used to it. The year that I left Michigan, it was the coldest winter we had ever seen, and it was the snowiest winter we had ever seen. Um, so you think I'd be used to the cold weather. Apparently, I'm already adapted. So it is awesome. I'm glad to be here with you guys. We're going to talk about truth today. And it's, it's an interesting topic, but to start us off, I'm going to make two really interesting claims. But before I do that, I want you guys to, to kind of get to know me a little bit, right? Uh, and, I, and I want to tell you a little bit about a conversion of mine, okay? It is a fascinating conversion because... It's sort of, you ever had those moments where you think that there's a moment where like a light bulb turns on, where you didn't realize that you existed in darkness so much as you did, until one day the light has been turned on, and you're like, oh my gosh, I see it. So there's one particular life that I had been living in, one particular reality that I had been living in, that guided everything about me. It was awesome until someone showed me something different. Until someone showed me that there is a different way. There's a different way to go about this. I was introduced to Apple products. It was fantastic. And I remember the first time that I ever bought one of these. And see, now... My household, I went from like PC God, like everything is PC. I made fun of people with Apple computers to being probably one of Apple's greatest evangelists. Where I now have my, I have my iPhone, my wife has hers. I have my iPad for work. We have two other iPads at home. I have my Mac, she has hers. And we have Apple TV. So, you know, all I don't have yet is the watch. I need to get the watch. And I can't figure out why I need the watch yet, so I can't justify it to my wife. But as soon as I figure it out, I'll be there. Right? This is one of the greatest things that I would say maybe happened to me. Now, that's not true at all. But I'm going to make, in order to help you understand the nature of truth, I want to make a statement about this phone right here. Okay? I want to make a, an interesting statement about this particular phone. All right? So what I want to say is that using Apple products or using my iPhone gives me unprecedented joy and happiness, and it's just amazing. Right? How many would agree with that statement and say it's a true statement? Okay, a few of you, okay. How many would say that's okay for that being true for me? Right, that's, it's, you, you can't speak to my experience, right? You have no right to speak to my experience to tell me whether or not this brings joy and happiness. You might look at me and be like, you don't look very happy. But you don't know when I open this up and I start, you know, 
you know, when I got four kids, when, you know, when they're all loud and obnoxious, they're like, zone out time. Mm-hmm. Right? Hey, I don't have a lot of games, but I have solitaire, and I play it a lot because it's, you know, my board thing, right? But what if I made a second statement? What if I made the statement that Apple products or this iPhone are proven to cure the symptoms for ADHD? How many would say that's a true statement? Well, what if I said that was a true statement? Can I? But would I be right? Right. So, I mean, I I can make the statement... But even if I claim that this is my experience, we could do a little research, right? We could check with some scientists. We could probably try and figure out whether or not I'm full of it or maybe I'm onto something, right? Well, what this does is gives us two different kinds of truth statements, okay? Two specifically different kinds. One is objective and the other is subjective, And the problem we have when we talk about truth is we don't distinguish between the two. We just sort of figure that there's the same thing. Now, I'm going to move through some of this pretty quickly. So if you have questions, write them down, and I can try to answer them later if we have a little bit of time. But in this little half an hour moment, there's not a whole heck of a lot of time to get through all that I want to get through, but I want to try, all right? So try and stay with me. I'm sure that you can. If we're talking about subjective... We're talking about something that's about the subject. So to say, for me to say, this is something that brings me unprecedented joy and happiness is a subjective truth. Why? Because it's about me. I'm the subject. And it can be true for me. And it cannot be true for you. And that can be okay. Okay, does that make sense? Okay. But something that is objective is true, or in this case, not true, for the object. The object is the phone not me. I'm making a statement about the phone, that it is the phone that can cure the symptoms of ADHD. It has nothing to do with my experience. And whether or not my phone can do that is completely and in every way independent of me. Okay? So we have subjective truths, which can be true for you and true for me, and different truths can be different things, and that's cool. And we have objective truths that are true or not true, completely and in every way independent of you, okay? So let's do a little bit of a test here. Let's see how good you are, all right? So tell me if these are objective or subjective, okay? That guy's shirt is red. Anybody got a red? There's a couple of red shirts, okay? Is that an objective or subjective statement? Very good, it's objective. What about the red is the, the red? Red is the best color. You guys are awesome. Two plus two equals four. Hopefully. (laughs) Tropical island vacations are the best kind. You guys are awesome. I can bench press 350 pounds. Oh, how many say it's subjective? Show of hands. How many say it's objective? Very good. Doesn't matter if it's true or not. And why would you say that I can't bench 350 pounds? I can't. But still, okay? But we could prove that, right? Put me on a bench, put 350 on the bar, and watch me try. And then call 911, okay? Atoms consist of protons, neutrons, and electrons. All right, now we're going to make this more difficult. Are you ready? Here we go. 
How many say it's objective? Don't be shy. How many say it's anybody say it's subjective? Okay. What about Jesus is the only way to God? How many say it's objective? How many say this is subjective? Hmm. Interesting. Premarital sex is wrong. Okay. Do you see how these are a little bit more tricky? Right? And finally, it's wrong for women to have an elected abortion. Okay? Anybody say it's subjective? Don't be shy. All right. Okay. Why is it that these last few, 7, 8, 9, and 10, are more difficult? Interestingly enough, here's the deal. Religion and morality in our culture belong in the category of subjective. What our culture does is says, no, 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 no. We start dealing with morality and things. You want to talk about red shirts and bench pressing and, and you know, science. That can be objective or subjective, and nobody's going to disagree with you. Everyone's going to be like, yeah, if you're disagreeing on the color of a shirt, you must be colorblind. There's a reason for it. But just because you're colorblind doesn't change the fact that a shirt's a particular color. It just means you can't see it, right? So we know that's an objective statement, and very few people ever argue. But what happens when we start talking about religion and morality? All of a sudden now, we're talking, well, wait a minute. We're talking, this is subjective now. This belongs in your own little realm. Interesting. Why is this the case? Okay. Well, we have this sort of, uh, 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 I'm going to hit it in just a second, but we have this sort of understanding that what you believe is private. And you have no business talking about this in the public square. But we have this sort of idea about this relativism or this subjectivism. And the problem is, is if we were to do that, these ideas have significant consequences. And things that we often don't think about, especially as Christians. Well-meaning youth, I talk to youth every day of the week, nine, ten months out of the year, where I get comments to me all the time, where Jesus is just all right by me, but I'm not going to force my views on anybody else. It's okay if I believe in Jesus, and that's my truth, and that's perfectly fine, but it's also okay if I have premarital sex. And that's perfectly fine because it's a cultural thing and it's my own morality. And that, that's fine. No problem. That's not, that's not a problem at all. And I've had many conversations with students where legitimately, and maybe this is where you're at, and if it is, I'm not judging, but they legitimately tell me that is okay to do. But these ideas have incredible consequences, especially as Christians. One, it diminishes sin. Think about it. If our morality is entirely dependent on what you feel is the case, what does that do for sin? Uh, well, it eliminates it, right? There is no sin. Why? Well, because I don't want to sin. So the necessity of sin, how do I know what's sin? Well, I have a standard, right? How do I, if I'm looking at a compass, how do I know where north is? Well, I'm sorry, how do I know where east and west is? Because I have a standard, I know where north is. The only way on a compass you know where anything else is because it points to north. It's the only way you know. Otherwise, you have no idea. Maybe you can look at the sun, but that's still not totally exact. Okay? So it diminishes sin. It erodes moral conviction. Think of it this way. If there's no sin, there's no moral conviction, there's no bad news. What happens if there's no bad news? 
There's no good news. If there's no good news, there's no gospel. If there's no gospel, there's no need for the Jesus that you say you believe in. Which makes following Jesus completely irrelevant. So these ideas have significant consequences. Okay? So what we do is we tell our, uh, our, our culture to keep your religion private. And oftentimes it's described as a two-tier or two-storied house. On the top floor is your private life, your rooms, your, you know, your bedrooms, wherever. What you do in your private time, that is your private sphere. And we keep our faith private. And we're told to keep our faith private. But don't you dare bring it into the public sphere. So our religion and our morality to our culture belongs up Oh, I just totally screwed that up. Ah, that's okay. Um, belongs upstairs, okay? But what, what this essentially comes from is this ideology and this sort of worldview that loves these kinds of statements. That there is no truth, and everyone has their version of truth. Truth is unknowable. All truth is relative. Truth is relative to culture, and nobody has the truth. I'm sure you've heard these. Maybe you've said them. That somehow truth is eluding us, and we really can't know it. There's so, and I I get it. There's so many versions of the truth out there. There's so many people saying so many different things. I get how it can be confusing. And I get how we don't really want to say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody gets the Father but by him. And I'm going to stand by that no matter what anybody says, because as soon as you say that, you're now intolerant, bigoted, and a fool. But do these make any sense? Do these have any credibility when we start thinking it through. And I'm going to tell you that they don't. Why? Well, we'll get to that in just a second. But essentially what this is, is relativism. And Nietzsche says it best. It's the Burger King way of doing things. You have your way, I have my way. Have it your way. As for the right way, the correct way, and the only way, it does not exist. Welcome to the world you are going to go to college in. But what happens when we put this into practice? What happens when we put these statements into the real world and try them on? I was actually reading uh, a book um, yesterday, and it was talking about some different philosophies and how they don't work. And there were some atheistic professors that actually admitted to saying, in theory, I hold to this particular worldview, but I understand that in reality, it doesn't work. Okay, at least you know that. Okay? But what happens if we put ideas like there is no truth, or all truth is relative, or truth is unknowable? If, I, if you tell me truth is unknowable, what's my response to you? How do you know that? There is no truth. Is that a true statement? Because if there is no truth, then your truth, then your true statement that there is no truth is not true. Therefore, there really is no truth, and you can't say what you just said. I love philosophy. We call it committing suicide. Relativism, these statements, commit suicide. What do I mean by that? They're self-defeating, right? They don't stand. There's an internal contradiction within the statement, right? So the fact that all there is no truth is a true statement, therefore you can't say there is no truth, okay? Let me give you some examples. All English sentences are false. Okay? And some of these you say, and you don't realize you're even saying it. 
No sentences are longer than six words. Okay? That's seven, in case you were counting. When I was writing this, I actually had to like count that out, make sure that was right. All bachelors love their wives. Fascinating. My brother's an only child. He wishes he was. And that place is so crowded, no one goes there anymore. My favorite, actually, I didn't put up here. My favorite is, the best advice I was ever given is, you better go to somebody else's funeral, otherwise they'll never go to yours. Okay? Some of you are catching up. Okay. So do you all see what I mean by it commits suicide? That it refutes itself, right? So we can't say statements like, truth is unknowable. We can't say that there is no truth. There is some kind of truth. Okay? So, oh, yeah, this, I forgot about this one. This page intentionally left blank. You see this on your tests all the time, and it makes me laugh. And I get why they do it, but that is a self-refuting statement. It violates what we call the law of non-contradiction. And the law of non-contradiction just simply says that opposite ideas cannot both be true at the same time in the same way. It can't contradict. Okay? And that's just a simple law of logic. It can't do it. If there's an internal contradiction, it's violating the law of non-contradiction. Okay? But I know what many of you are going to say, or what many people would say to you. It's still my truth. And I'm still entitled to believing what I want to believe. And I'm still entitled to believing what I consider to be reality. Right? And that's okay. And we, and, we're, and we live in this world where this tension between what is real and what we think is truth and how we exist and your truth versus my truth and that person's truth and, and this and that. We're like, yeah, it's fine. So long as we never interact, which is why you should come to the second session because we're going to talk about how to share your faith in light of all of this. Because how does that work, right? So how do you respond to the idea that it's my truth? Well, okay, this doesn't really make much sense, right? So let me give you an example. The car mirror from one of my cars. Funny story. I was being a really nice husband. I took my wife's car to, to, to the, to the um, car wash. And I go in, and I'm watching the little brushes turn, right? And it's going, it goes this way, right? As you're going in this way, it's going this way. And it's turning, and I'm like, I'm the greatest husband in the world. This is great. Get my, wife. My, wife, my wife loves a clean car. Who doesn't love a clean car? So it's going, it's going, it's going. And I'm watching this. And there's all this soap coming down, and I'm like watching it go around, and I'm watching it come to the mirror, and I'm, and I'm sitting there watching. I don't know why I was watching it. I just was like captivated by the brush or something. And it's going around, all of a sudden the mirror starts doing this. I'm going, oh. And I'm thinking, there's that moment where you're like, I'm going to roll the windows down. And I'm going to reach over and I'm going to save the mirror because it's going to crack. I knew it. It's going to happen. And just as I said, I'm going to do it, snap. I'm like, no. So here I'm driving. This is the best part, though. Is like you can imagine the mirror on the car like this, and it's dangling. Like the guy's drying the car, and he goes, just keeps drying. Like, like, like it didn't happen. I'm like, dude. So they come out with this big, huge roll of duct tape, and they duct tape my mirror to my car. I'm like, honey, I washed your car. You're welcome. It's just like sweet. So my question to you is, what kind of car is this from? It's blue. Although the mirror ended up being black the one I replaced it with and it never got painted. What kind of car? Guesses. Okay. 
Give me, give, just give me a car. Any car, pick one. All right, that's fine. What's that? What was it? A Civic, okay. Explorer, I used to have one of those. <laughs> I wish, that'd be awesome. I don't think so. Okay. A Volvo, all right. Can all of you be right? No, right? Could maybe one of you be right? It's possible. None of you are. Somebody got close. It was a Honda. Okay, I have four kids. It's an odyssey, man. It's my minivan. I have a new minivan since. But, okay, this is from my old minivan. I use it for several different sermon illustrations. Okay, so I keep weird things like this. But the, the reality is, is that this is from my minivan, right? So it doesn't matter. Let's go back. There we go. It doesn't matter what you think if you're wrong, right? If you're wrong, you're wrong. And no one's going to dispute that. You're not going to be like, no, it's from a Civic. You're wrong. No, it's my car, right? I know the reality. Truth is what corresponds with reality. It's true that this mirror is from a 2006 blue Honda Odyssey LX or something like that, okay? Which I no longer have, okay? That's truth that corresponds with reality. One of my uh, former professors, J.P. Moreland, says it this way. When things are uh, taken the way, when, th- when things are the way one takes them to be, truth is a matching relationship between a thought and reality. So if you have a thought and you want to know if it's true, does it match reality? And it doesn't, it's not your reality, it's reality. Reality is reality, okay? I have four kids. It's an objective statement for me to say, somebody like, oh, that's why I do that, so I get the ahs. Um, it's an objective statement if I say I have four kids. And it's objectively true if it lines up with reality, correct? What if I say I have the greatest four kids on the face of the planet? I certainly believe that, right? But it's a totally subjective statement, okay? And it may not line up with reality. You may meet my kids and go, no, <laughs> Right? Oh, I get the opposite. I have one people, your kids are such angels. I'm like, not last night they weren't. Okay, so, but that's, that's the reality of it. Okay, so truth is what corresponds or lines up with reality. Aristotle always says it best. If you say that it is, and it is, or you say that it isn't, and it isn't, that's true. Wow. It took a philosopher to figure that one out, Okay. If you say that it isn't, and it is, or you say that it is, and it isn't, that's false. This is also known as rocket science, okay? I think you guys are smart enough to figure this out, right? But we tend to take religion and morality and separate it and say, nope, I'm not dealing with that, okay? I need this to be in my own land, or culture wants this to be in my own land, and I can't be objective. But the reality is, is that it is objective, Otherwise, you have no morality, okay? So how can I know that Christianity is, in fact, true? Well, Jesus said it. That's a start, okay? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made the objective statement. You don't even have to make the statement. Jesus did it for you. He made the objective truth claim that he's the way, the truth, and the life. So either he's right or he's wrong. 
end of story. That's it. There's no in-between. There's no, well, I kind of like that idea. It doesn't work. Paul takes it one step further, and I highlight a couple of spots. That I want. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But this is 1 Corinthians 15, right? If Jesus made the claim, within that claim is, the, is essentially the claim of resurrection, right? Jesus kind of puts the stamp on it when he resurrects. And what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 is that without the resurrection, the objective truth of the resurrection, without that fact, that reality, we've got nothing. It's over. It's almost like God is dangling the entire fate of humanity on one little string called the resurrection. You cut that and it's over. But he provides us with the necessary evidence to figure it out if it is in fact true, which is fascinating to me. Okay? What about the disciples? Jesus claimed it, put the stamp of approval with the resurrection. Paul said it's testable. The disciples lived it out. People don't die for what they know is alive. Say, oh, no, Kozak, no, 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 no. People die all the time. There's, there's terrorists. Right. They believe it. If they knew it was a lie, do you think they would do it? Nobody does that. Psychologically, we, we have a self-preservation thing going on. Okay? We don't die for things that we know are a lie. So the disciples at least thought it to be true, which is pretty significant considering what they went through because of who they were and what they believed. Right? I'm a Christian because Christianity is objectively true. Right? It makes the true statement, and it's true for everyone, everywhere, regardless of what they actually believe. So I'm going to make that bold statement. That is objectively true, regardless of what your experience of Jesus is or not. Now, this is just scratching the surface, because we only have a half an hour to do it. Okay? And I'm going to come right in on time. Well, that's pretty good. But there's a lot of resources out there. A couple of things I want to point out so you get them. Okay? You can go to my website. I, I, I work alongside Standard Reason, but I also run my own, my own uh, ministry called um, Defend Truth. And you can go to dtapologetics.com. You can go to my Twitter page. You can go to my blog, my websites, all kinds of stuff. If you want to do any of those things, my whole ministry is providing you with resources. So you have the ability to defend truth that you understand what truth is. If anything, I want you to walk out of here with one thing. One thing. That your faith in Christ is objectively true. That Jesus makes that objective statement and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you get nothing else, wherever you are in the whole Christian thing, Jesus makes the claim. The question is, is what are you going to do with the claim? Okay? The last thing I'm going to leave you with, and then I'm going to pray us out of here, is if you get a chance, you need to go to this. This is Stand to Reason's Rethink Conference, okay? Oh, my goodness. Let's go backwards. There we go. Ooh, this is getting a little shaky on me. There we go. Rethinkapologetics.com. It's not, if, you, if you live in the Orange County area, uh, I know there's one uh, in Dallas and, and one in Alabama, but I'm not sure you're going to travel all the way there. Um, 23rd and 24th. It's not super expensive as far as apologetics conferences go. It's awesome as far as the cost is like 30 bucks or something. Um, you can sign up there, take a bunch of friends, go talk about the resurrection, I think, this year, and it's going to be phenomenal. It always is. He bring, you know, they, they bring in the best possible people, and it's great. Okay? 
Let me pray for you, and I'll, I'll, I'll cut you loose. Father, we are so grateful for this time together, and we're grateful for um, just the way you have crafted all these things and, and, and these ideas and talks and the way in which you're working in the lives of these students. Uh, it, it is so amazing to watch, Father. If I, as we move about our day, just pray that the stuff that we talked about today just resonates, and the stuff that we talked about it, it causes them to think deeper about their faith, and that knowing you, following you, is objective truth, and that we have what is true. Father, I pray that you'll help these students live that out. Help them live in that reality. As difficult as this world is to do something like that, I just pray that you give them your spirit um, to be able to do that successfully and for your glory. And as always, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.